Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Work in the House of Representatives grinds to a halt today now that Congressman Kevin McCarthy has been forced out as Speaker. From member station KVPR, Joshua Yeager reports McCarthy says he won't run for Speaker again. McCarthy kept his head held high during an hour-long news conference following his unprecedented ouster as House Speaker. So I may have lost a vote today, but as I walk out of this chamber, I feel fortunate to have served the American people. His firing was prompted by a stopgap bill to continue funding the government with support from Democrats. A defiant McCarthy said he had no regrets. You know, if you have to lose for something, I will always lose for the country. It is a much better battle to have. Any successor will face a deeply divided Congress and a costly shutdown looming weeks away. For NPR News, I'm Joshua Yeager in Bakersfield. In a hypothetical two-way matchup for president in 2024, President Biden and former President Donald Trump are in a dead heat. That's according to the latest NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll. As NPR's Danielle Kurtzleben reports, third-party candidates would make for a more complicated race, but it's not clear if they would spoil it either way. The poll also matched up Biden and Trump with a generic Green Party candidate, a generic Libertarian candidate, and another generic third-party candidate. In that race, around one in five Americans chose a third-party candidate or were undecided. However, that still left Trump and Biden with roughly even shares of the vote. Of course, Trump hasn't won the GOP nomination, but the poll also found him much more popular among the GOP electorate than his primary opponents. Seventy-four percent of GOP voters view Trump favorably. The only other GOP candidate seen favorably by even a majority of GOP voters was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 58 percent. Danielle Kurtzleben, NPR News. Baltimore police say someone opened fire last night on the campus of Morgan State University in Maryland. Five people were hurt. Baltimore Police Commissioner Richard Worley says their injuries are not life-threatening. We did not locate the suspect at this time. Um, The scene remains active. And we are working alongside our many federal law enforcement partners to piece together everything that exactly happened. Classes have been canceled today at Morgan State University. This year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry is being shared by three scientists, Mungui Bawendi, Louis Bruce, and Alexei Ikimov. They're being cited for their discoveries among the smallest particles in nanotechnology. These so-called quantum dots spread their light from LED lamps and they help guide surgeons when they remove tissue with tumors in them. The Nobel Prize in Literature will be awarded tomorrow. The Nobel Peace Prize will be announced on Friday. You're listening to NPR News. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is WBUR in Boston. Governor Maura Healey plans to sign a $1 billion tax relief bill into law today. The bill comes after nearly two years of negotiations. It includes tax credits for parents. It also includes relief for renters and low-income families. Those in favor of the bill, including Healey, say it'll make the state more affordable. Advocates want oversight of Bridgewater State Hospital to be transferred from the Correction Department to the State Department of Mental Health. The hospital is where state courts send people to have their mental health evaluated. Reports from the Disability Law Center find Bridgewater staff use prison-like tactics on patients. The center's Tatum Pritchard says those tactics include forced injections. 
The person with the riot shield goes first. They force their way in. They knock the person down. They force them to lie down on their bed prone. Hold them down. Pull down their pants to expose their buttocks. And that individual then receives multiple shots of forced medication. State Senator Cynthia Cream co-sponsored legislation in the Senate to make the change. She says she wants patients at Bridgewater State Hospital to be treated like patients, not prisoners. The MBTA is extending ferry service to Lynn, East Boston, and Winthrop for a few more weeks. WBUR's Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez reports the decision is due to demand. Ferry service was supposed to wrap up by October 9th, but T officials say they're keeping service going for a few more weeks because riders have responded positively. The Lynn and East Boston ferries were operating as seasonal pilot programs. Alice Brown of the nonprofit Boston Harbor Now says the ferry's popularity might lead to making them permanent. I think if ridership remains robust through the fall, it will empower the T and the legislators who've been fighting for the funding for this service to start service earlier in the spring. I think the goal is to get to year-round service. Lynn Ferry Service is now slated to end October 31st. East Boston and Winthrop Ferries operate through November. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez. Weekend commuter rail service into Salem is doubling for the next month to accommodate everyone heading there for the busy tourist season. The MBTA will run two trains per hour in and out of the city on weekends. City leaders in Salem are urging visitors not to drive. Nearly one million people visited Salem in October last year. It's 7.06. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Lessons in Chemistry. Oscar winner Brie Larson stars as a chemist who hosts a cooking show, proving life doesn't follow a formula. Streaming October 13th on Apple TV+. And Vermont Tourism, trip ideas and planning tools available at vermontvacation.com. Vermont, a little bit like a dream, very much open. The Bruins lost their final home exhibition game of the fall. They lost to the Washington Capitals 5-4 in overtime last night. The Bees will visit the New York Rangers tomorrow. The regular season begins a week from today. Tonight in Foxborough, the New England Revolution will host the Columbus Crew. Some lingering fog this morning will soon give way to sunny skies. It'll be in the 70s at the coast, 80s inland, partly cloudy tonight and in the 60s. Mostly sunny tomorrow and in the 70s. Right now, it's 63 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include Carla Itzkovich, whose gift in memory of Moises Itzkovich, founder of the Moises Itzkovich Foundation, helps provide public radio news and information to communities around the world. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, and this is our fall fundraiser. It lasts through tomorrow night. It's going to end tomorrow Mm -hmm. night, no matter what. We are coming to you right now telling you we are getting really worried because we are behind. Mm -hmm. We are behind where we need to meet our goal for 2,500 listeners to become monthly contributors to WBUR. We still need to raise half of that goal before the fundraiser ends tomorrow night. We need your help to help us catch up. This is what we need to do in order to keep WBWAR's finances where they need to be. This is the goal we need to meet. We have very carefully plotted it out, and we know this is what we need, and we need your help. So please, start your monthly gift at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi, here with Robin Young. Okay, so I probably should say good morning. 
Good morning. I'm sorry. No, no, but it's because you're goal-oriented. You know, Rupa's is here (laughs) to tell you she needs your help. We need your help. But we want to say good morning. And we know how that feels if your alarm just went off and you're like, what? You know, you're that. Yeah, but we know also that you will step to the plate. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Here's what you need to know. Yep, we're behind. We need to make half of our goal by tomorrow night. You can beg. We are not going to extend it. Uh, we are, we, we are, we're going to keep, you know, we have to get back to the news. And so we, we're telling you, we need to do this by tomorrow night. And to help you, to give a little incentive to make that call right now, uh, we're going to match whatever you can do dollar for dollar, whether you can make a one-time pledge, which we thank you for, or you decide to become a member, which we really hope you do. We will match that dollar for dollar, generous dollars from other members who are hoping that you will do what they've done. one 800 909 WBUR.org. And, you know, we, we would much rather be off just completely covering this unbelievable news cycle that we're in, mm-hmm. but we need your help. So that's why we're doing this. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. It is you who makes sure WBUR can, will be there to bring you the news you depend on in the future. We're trying to sustain our newsroom, even as other news outlets dwindle and collapse, especially local news outlets. The news you depend on from us every day comes at a huge expense. The solution is you. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I recently asked our CEO, Margaret Lowe, to Mm -hmm. explain kind of how our model works and why. Well, one of the ways it happens um, and the best thing that listeners can do is actually become a sustaining member, meaning you give every month automatically, and it makes life a lot easier, really, because you don't have to consider each and every time whether or how much you want to give, and it creates more economic certainty for WBUR, knowing that we have your enduring support. And I hope we do, because we will always be here for you, our listeners, and we hope that you will continue to be here for us. Hmm. I mean, you know, that's a little bit of a we hope you'll be here for us. You know, we're going to be here for you. I know it's like, I know you, there's some of you probably with downcast eyes at this moment. You know, oh, yeah, I should be there. Right, you should be there. You know, if you can. And we know not everybody can. But if you can, how often, just think, how often do you have NPR? I know people who have it on every single second of mm-hmm. the day. They leave it on for their pets during the day, for the <laughs> soothing. I, do that, actually. Yeah, I know you do that little puppy. <laughs> 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Think, how much do you use this resource well, then, what is it worth to you? 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. What would it be like if it weren't there? We've watched news resources disappear. Mm-hmm. We've watched small-town newspapers disappear. There's no guarantee. There is just no guarantee. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You are our guarantee. Especially now when there is a match on the table. Some members of our Murrow Society have agreed to put a dollar down for every dollar you put down. They are doing that because it is so important that you become part of our community of listeners who support us because that is how we keep going, as you just heard Margaret explain. Monthly sustainers who agree to be there for us every single month, that is what keeps WBUR going. This is when we come to you to remind you that we need 
need you to step up and become one of them. Again, our fall fundraiser ends tomorrow night. We are behind. We need to make up half of our goal for 2,500 listeners to become monthly contributors to WBUR. We need you to help us catch up. And there is a match on the table right now that hopefully will incentivize you to give. It will double your impact. All you have to do is act now and your impact on WBUR will be doubled. It's that important that you join Mm. the community of listeners. You are powerful in this moment. You will decide whether we make this goal or not. And whether you have the power. (laughs) I mean, just flex that muscle there. Stand up. Look yourself in the mirror. You brush your teeth there. You doobie. (laughs) You have the power. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. We're going to get you back to all the news. Who are the potential candidates for Speaker of the House? Steve Scalise? Maybe Jim Jordan? Why did Republicans, why are they leaving town? Well, you know, this is, these are all these questions that we need to ask. How did this happen? We'll do that. We're just asking you to help us do that. And I also need to put a plug in for our local news this morning. Uh, Paula Mora, one of our great reporters, has a piece on about climate solutions and how local Massachusetts communities are dealing, are, are using natural solutions to deal with flash flooding, like what happened in Lemonster recently. Yeah. It's Climate Solutions Week on NPR. We have a story, or multiple stories, every single day that focus on what you can do to impact climate change. That is Look the- how strong you are. You can affect public radio and climate, everything. <laughs> the number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm just hanging on here, folks. Robin is in charge. But thank you so much. Please give. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the law firm of Nutter, McLennan and Fish, counsel to leading companies and institutions for more than a century. Client-focused, collaborative, this is Nutter, online at Nutter.com. The Peabody Essex Museum, presenting the Salem Witch Trials, Restoring Justice. On view now. Learn more at PEM.org. And Elliott Community Human Services, working to end the homelessness crisis by providing evidence-based care. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm e. Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Leila Faldid in Washington, D.C. Good morning. The House of Representatives needs a new speaker. Kevin McCarthy made history yesterday when he became the first speaker to be voted out of his job. Eight Republicans cast the deciding votes, and McCarthy says count him out of the next round. Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican speaker in this House. GOP Congressman Mark Alford of Missouri was not part of that group. He supported McCarthy, and he's here with us now. Good morning, Congressman. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning, Layla. Good to be here. So as we speak, Congress is basically paralyzed. Are you upset about what happened and how it happened? I am. Kevin McCarthy made history back in January with the most votes ever to secure the Speaker's position, 15. And now he's made history once again, as you said, being the first to uh, lose his speaker position on a motion to vacate. I think it's a sad day for our conference. It's a sad day for our body. It's a sad day for America. Uh, This is not the way it should have been done, but this is a new day. It's time to move forward. Our ship does not have a rudder and we must find that rudder soon. How do you find that rudder? I mean, is there a plan to get Uh, your party out of chaos, really? There is a plan, and I think chaos is the operative word. We must show our body and our nation that we are not 
dysfunctional, that we do have a plan to move forward with a conservative agenda to help secure America's border, to help reduce spending, to help rebuild our military. The world is watching. I feel like we have shown weakness on the world stage through the uh, executive branch. We do not need to show the same weakness through the legislative branch. And so Tuesday, we will be reconvening here in Washington, D.C. Our conference will be meeting. We will be led by our conference chair, Lee Stefanik, and our speaker pro tem, Patrick McHenry. And we will have a forum in which the candidates who have putting their name forward for the new speaker position will be able to make their case before our conference. Mm -hmm. And on Wednesday, we will select a new speaker of the House. What do you think makes this something that won't just happen again? I mean, one of the criticisms of Speaker McCarthy is that he gave a lot of power to a very small number of members of your party. I mean, you choose a new speaker. What stops this from just happening again if they upset five or six Republicans in your conference? Well, Lele, I think you're spot on with that. And that was why originally when I was a member elect and was able to be here at conference in November during our orientation session, I spoke on the floor uh, of our conference uh, in favor of a different rule that would not have included a one person uh, to be able to vacate or call for the vacate of the chair. Uh, I thought it should be a majority of the majority, 50% plus one. It, mm. it was just too much power vested in so few people that could determine the course of history. And I think it put Kevin McCarthy in peril from the very beginning. It was his Achilles heel that ended up costing him the speakership, but he gave in on that to get the votes necessary in our slim majority. You remember back then, we thought we would have a red wave. We did not end up with that. And mm -hmm. I believe we ended up with a red tide that basically uh, ate up the oxygen out of our body. Uh, we have got to change that rule. We cannot do that without 218 votes. Every person now putting their name up for speaker will have to face the same scrutiny, the same pressure, the same leverage by a few number of members. Do you think this very public infighting that happened over the speakership says something to the American people about your party's ability to govern? Well, look, it's not pretty. Uh, it is, uh, you've heard the phrase before, uh, making sausage. It, it is not a pretty process. But I would take this process any day over the way that Nancy Pelosi ruled the House. Yes, she got the votes that she needed every time, but we are transparent as a party. We are diverse as a party. We are welcoming of new ideas, and we are going to pick the best leader to move us forward. I'm confident of that. There are four words about the speaker's rostrum, in God we trust, in the House chamber. And I'm trusting God to raise up a new leader a new speaker of the house. But very quickly, before we let you go, will you have this in order in time to deal with a, the standoff over another shutdown in 44 days? I certainly hope and pray. We are wasting precious time. Mm -hmm. I do not think we should be going home right now. I'm in my office. Uh, we'll see what happens. And thank you, Layla. Republican Representative Mark Alford of Missouri. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. China is in the middle of an eight-day nationwide holiday to celebrate the Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day.
The government is hoping it'll give a big boost to the economy, and tourists have indeed been flocking to sites such as the Great Wall, the Forbidden City, and this shopping district in Beijing. NPR China correspondent John Ruich stopped by there the other day to take the pulse, and he joins us now. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. So give us a sense of how people are spending their Golden Week holiday. Well, they're hitting the road. Um, the government expects nearly 900 million domestic trips to be made during this week. Wow. Those are journeys on trains, planes, boats, and so forth. And analysts expect that to generate more than $100 billion worth of revenue, all told. We'll have the final tally in a few days. Those numbers would actually be improvements on recent years and are pretty decent compared with pre-pandemic numbers. But on the street, you know, some people say there's, it still feels like something's missing. Um, we talked to the guy named Wang Xinglong. He sells these kind of hand-blown glass-like sculptures that are made of melted sugar that hardens. You can eat them. Kids really mm. dig them. But he's a little bit concerned. Yeah, so he's saying here that uh, he thinks people are being conservative about what they spend. Uh, he says there's a ton of people out and about. It, it was crowded there, uh, but they aren't spending like they used to. He's not selling as much as before. And he points out that fewer people are actually carrying shopping bags, meaning that they hadn't bought anything. Mm. Uh, and that they're just there for the experience. So despite the crowds, it sounds like the economy hasn't quite turned a corner yet. Right, John? Yeah, it kind of feels that way. Uh, look, people expected that when the government dropped its tough COVID restrictions almost a year ago, that the rebound would be a lot stronger than it has been. When that didn't happen, analysts and economists started to worry. There's been a lot of hand-wringing. Mm. But I talked to Andy Rothman about this. He's an investment strategist at Matthews Asia, which is a fund management company. He says he thinks that the pessimism has been overdone. The data does show that the economy is weak, but it's improving. And certainly not approaching a crisis. He points to things like household income, which is up mm. compared with 2019 retail sales. EV sales have been soaring. I think the biggest problem facing the Chinese economy right now is a lack of confidence in government policies on the part of entrepreneurs. The small businesses that drive the Chinese economy that employ 90% of the urban workforce and create all the new jobs. Right. And that's been a real issue. He thinks policy starting to shift to address it. But, you know, that's created a wariness about making investments, which mm. impacts the future health of the economy. It sort of underpins this weak consumer sentiment that we saw in Beijing, too. And there's another big problem out there, the real estate sector, right? Correct. It's a sector that accounts for about a quarter of the Chinese economy. It's where about three quarters of all households in China park their wealth. The government's been trying to deflate this massive real estate bubble without doing major damage to the economy. But there's a lot of nervousness around it. And, and it's recently centered around this company called China Evergrande. It's one of the biggest property developers in China. It's been teetering sort of under the weight of more than $300 billion in liabilities. And last week, it said its chairman's under investigation is the subject of a criminal investigation. Uh, that got a lot of people's attention and has sort of taken some of the luster off Golden Week. NPR's John Ruich in Beijing. Thanks for that update. You're welcome. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by AE Events. Design and production of corporate and nonprofit events, weddings, and conferences. Website at aeevents.com. Authentic, artful, accomplished. And Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. 
You're back with the fall fundraiser on WBUR. It ends tomorrow night. We are coming to you telling you we are behind where we need to be to meet our goal. And like Robin says, Robin Young is in the studio here with me. I'm Rupa Shinoy. Good morning. (laughs) We still need to raise half of our goal before, again, the fundraiser ends tomorrow night. That deadline is really looming for us. It's, It's just coming up so fast. We're asking you to help us catch up. And we have a dollar for dollar match on the table right now incentivizing you to give and double your impact for WBUR. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. We appreciate all gifts and all of them will be matched right now. Robin Young is going to tell you about that match a little bit more Mm -hmm. in a second here. But when you give on a monthly basis, it again gives us the security to plan for the future. It helps WBUR know what it can do for you Next year at this time, two years from this time, when you give monthly, you give us that security that I know that you you want in your own life. So give it to us. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. We all will remain calm. Yes, we have this huge challenge ahead of us. And we've had these before. You know, we just look at the mountain. We say, okay, what's the best route? And the best route is that you guys go to the phone right now. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Any, any contribution, if it's just a one-time, uh, $5, $50, $100, will make you a member of this station, not just somebody who's, you know, uh, hovering and listening all the time. But if you can, if you can commit to a monthly donation of a $5, $10 a month uh, donation, then you're a sustaining member. You are sustaining us through the coming years. And, you know, this afternoon at 2.20, we're going to have that test of the mm-hmm. emergency system. You know, every single cell phone is at the same time at 2.20 this afternoon going to have this alert. I know which, what's going to come, but I'm still going to jump Oh, like I know. I want to be like in the store, uh, you know, the aisle of a supermarket or in an auditorium of a lecture when every single phone has this. But I wish it would go off right now, you know, because we have something of the same. We have an emergency and we're testing you. You know, we're asking, you know, what can you do? You know, yes, if you can't do something, then cheer from the sidelines. But if you can, you know, how much do you depend on this station? How much do you listen? You're listening right now. You're listening through this. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. If you can please make a commitment, that would be great. It's Layla Faldid from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. 
Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Layla Fottle there talking about fighting for the facts. That is what WBUR... I know, me too. I hear she is. I mean, she she's faced bullets in Egypt. Yes. And she's talking about the importance of somebody going to a school board meeting. She's mm-hmm. right. You know, when there's a book ban, when there's a change in the, in, in the curriculum that you don't agree with, somebody needs to cover that. Mm-hmm. But continue, Rupa. <laughs> WBUR fights for the facts. That is what she was saying. That is what we do. It takes intention and drive and commitment to bring you the facts every single day. Whether we're covering climate change like we're doing all this week, income inequality is really important to me. I know it's important to Mm -hmm. you. Healthcare. These are the issues of our time. They will determine the direction of our lives. You need a reliable source of information about them. So, And you, your community needs that reliable source of information. We have a match on the table right now. Dollar for dollar, whatever you give will be dollar. You will be helping us so much toward our goal. Bigger gifts make a big difference, and those will be doubled too right now. So $1,000 becomes $2,000. Yeah. $2,000 becomes $4,000. If you can, now's the time. $5,000. There are people who can and have. If you can, do it now. 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And thank you so much. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from SmartMouth, committed to the prevention of bad breath for 24 hours with two rinses a day. SmartMouth mouthwash can be found nationwide at drugstores, grocery stores, and supercenters, or at smartmouth.com. From the Doris Duke Foundation, which aims to support the well-being of people and the planet for a more creative, equitable, and sustainable future. From Raymond James, a firm focused on transforming lives, businesses, and communities through tailored wealth management, banking, and capital market solutions. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. And from the William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people at WTGrantFDN.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Kevin McCarthy says he has no plans to run again for House Speaker. The California Republican was voted out yesterday when eight Republicans, unhappy with McCarthy, joined Democrats to remove him as Speaker. Republican Byron Donalds of Florida voted against McCarthy's ouster, but says... If there was any doubt before, it's without doubt now that the era of just leadership control over everything in this building is definitely over. Republicans Steve Scalise of Louisiana and Jim Jordan of Ohio are among those being mentioned to succeed McCarthy as House Speaker. Pope Francis is presiding over a global summit of bishops on the future of the Roman Catholic Church. It got underway today with Mass in St. Peter's Square and is expected to include discussions about the roles of women going forward. NPR's Jason DeRose says it could be a couple of years before any changes are announced. The meeting continues until the end of October, and then the Synod on Synodality is actually continuing next October when delegates will go back to the Vatican and vote on some sort of official document. That would then go up to Vatican hierarchy and the Pope himself. Any actual change would come down after that. So it'll be a while, but what comes of it could be defining for Francis's legacy. That's NPR's Jason DeRose. This is NPR News. This is WBWAR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi.
The MIT professor, who is one of this year's winners of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, says he still plans on teaching his class today. Mungi Buwendi is sharing this year's prize with two other chemists. The three are being honored for their work on what are called tiny quantum dots, which are used in many electronics. Fifty-two Massachusetts police departments will begin or expand body camera programs thanks to new funding from the state. The state is spending $3.5 million on equipment and data storage for local departments. In 2022, state officials reported about 10 percent of municipal police departments ran body camera programs. Massachusetts is funding nature-based solutions to help make communities more resilient to climate change. WBUR's Palomora reports that one town is using state grant money to construct a wetland to reduce flood damage. Redding recently started construction to turn a small forest area into a wetland to contain flooding along the Aberjona River, a Mystic River tributary. Alex Ruziki is an engineer for the town. He says contractors are now digging seven ponds to hold storm water. The water is going to sort of meander and flow through and, and kind of fill up, go to the next pond, fill up, go to the next pond, slow it down, take the pollutants out, take the sediment out, and then eventually discharge to the Aberjona. Slowing down the water flow could also help alleviate flooding for communities downstream along the Mystic River. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Paula Moda. It's 7.33. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, auto and home insurance that strives to treat you with kindness and humanity because they believe there's never been a better time for nice. PlymouthRock.com. The Bruins lost to the Washington Capitals 5-4 in overtime last night in an exhibition game at the Garden. The Bees will visit the New York Rangers tomorrow. Clear skies, a bit of a breeze, and highs near 80 today. Right now, it's 63 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from BetterHelp, committed to supporting mental health through therapy. Clients are matched with one of 25,000 therapists and can communicate via video, chat, or phone at betterhelp.com public. And from Workday. An enterprise management cloud focused on providing organizations with the system to continuously plan for all what-if scenarios. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil in Washington, D.C. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to remove its speaker, California Republican Kevin McCarthy. The yeas are 216, the nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. It's the first time in history that a House speaker has been removed this way. Eight Republicans led by Florida Congressman Matt Gates, joined all Democrats present in voting against McCarthy. Now, the question is, how do Republican factions in the House get beyond their differences to elect a new speaker? A lot to get to. So we called on Republican strategist Brendan Buck. He worked for two House speakers, John Boehner and then Paul Ryan. He joins us now. Brendan, you worked for a couple of speakers who have faced GOP opposition, but never this. Um, What do you think the last couple of days have been like for Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, in some ways, it's not all that surprising. It it feels inevitable that this has been sort of the continuation of what we've seen in the House Republican conference. 
At the same time, it's still stunning um, to, to hear that that vote tally um, and actually have someone removed is, is uh, as you said, unprecedented. But it really speaks to a lot of the dysfunction that has existed in the House Republican conference for, for a very long time. Kevin McCarthy is now gone and we have to find a new speaker, but the problems that he faced uh, still exist. And so I fear that this uh, the challenges that House Republicans have had are only going to continue as, as we elect a, a new speaker. So, Brendan, the House won't meet again until next week. If GOP reps head home to their districts, how do you think they'll explain what the state of the Republican Party is to their supporters? Yeah, that's really tough. Um, you know, you people send you to Washington to to solve problems. And we were already under a, a tight deadline here. As you know, we, we just averted a government shutdown. Uh, we've got 40 something days to to do it again. And now we have lost functionally two weeks to uh, pass appropriations bills, keep the government open. And this is just the, the basic core functions of governing, uh, not to mention the things you you want to do. And, and that's where this is really broken down. The House has had trouble doing even the basic things, and that's ultimately what Kevin McCarthy paid the price for. Uh, it wasn't any any sort of bold initiative that he was trying to push for. What triggered this was just a simple 45-day bill to keep the government open. Um, it, it does not bode well for Republican governance going forward. I think that Republicans are going to have to sort of dismiss this as uh, just internal housekeeping. Um, but the, the problems that exist are, are really deep-seated. Next step, though, is to elect his replacements. And McCarthy actually really wanted the job. So what characteristics do you think are a must for this job to keep the Republican conference united? Well, the first thing I'm going to be looking for is somebody who wants this job. And I, and I don't say that flippantly. Uh, I don't know why you would. McCarthy want wanted this um, job. He, he really wanted this he, job. He sure did. He did a lot of things to, to get it. Um, but I, as I said, the problems that he has, uh, the next person is going to have potentially even more acutely. Um, when McCarthy first got the job, he at least had a bit of a honeymoon about six months before they had to do anything important. This person's next person is going to be right in the meat grinder right away. Um, I think that the whoever the conference chooses and the way that this process works is we'll have a, a secret ballot within the conference to choose who the, the nominee is. I think whoever emerges from that process will probably have a decently easy shot on the House floor. Um, so, you know, it, it's first who who wants it, mm -hmm. but it, who then is someone who can unite all of these factions? Um, there have been a lot of promises that have been had to made, and I think whatever promises Kevin McCarthy had to make, the next person is going to have to make as well. Brendan, really quick, will they decide by next Wednesday? Will they decide by next Wednesday, yes or no? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I think that the people, they're, they're known quantities. All right, Republican strategist Brendan Buck, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. More than 75,000 healthcare workers are walking off the job this morning unless their unions reach a last-minute deal by 6 a.m. Pacific time. They include nurses, ER technicians, and lots of others who work at Kaiser Permanente hospitals and medical facilities from coast to coast. It's the largest healthcare strike in U.S. history. And for more, we've got NPR's Danielle Kay. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Lula. So where is the strike happening and what does it mean for patients? So the strike is set to happen across the country in California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Kaiser has already warned patients that non-emergency appointments might be delayed over the next few days. And in most regions, the strike is expected to last three days until Saturday morning, except on the East Coast, where it'll only run for a day ending on Thursday morning. Hospitals and emergency departments will 
stay open, Kaiser has had time to prepare, and they say they've hired people to fill these critical care roles during the strike. And this is happening because all sorts of workers are set to go on strike. Mm. That includes nurses, pharmacists, lab technicians, so many others. Um, These are people Kaiser really needs to keep its routine care up and running. So how did it get to this point that people are ready to go on strike? Yeah, well, the collective bargaining agreement for workers expired over the weekend without a new agreement in place. The unions want an almost 25 percent pay raise for all of its members, uh, while Kaiser has countered with about half of that. But what's really driving the strike is a staffing crisis. More than one in 10 union positions were vacant as of April. And staffing was an issue before the pandemic, but it's gotten a lot worse during COVID. There's been an exodus of workers over the past few years, and employees say they've been working longer hours with a lot fewer people. And they say the pay and benefits at Kaiser just aren't enough to attract new workers or retain those who are already there. Here's Caroline Lucas. She's the executive director of the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. Healthcare workers choose this profession because it's a passion for them. It's a calling. And folks don't feel comfortable staying at jobs where they don't feel like they can give the best patient care possible. And Kaiser says it's almost reached its goal uh, reached its goal of hiring 10,000 people who are represented by this group of unions by the end of this year. But Lucas says lots of workers are leaving the organization at the same time. And Kaiser, she says, needs to invest more in its workforce to fix those retention issues. And how do workers feel about walking off the job? Well, lots of workers won't be paid for the days they're on strike, and it's really a last resort. But a lot of them feel like they've been pushed to their breaking point during the pandemic. I talk to Megan Mays. She's a patient access representative in Hillsborough, Oregon. She has three young kids, and she says she's barely had time to spend with them since the pandemic hit. She's been working at the hospital 50 hours a week or more. There hasn't been any relief. I think we keep waiting for it and hoping that it will come, and it just hasn't. And at this point, four years later, it's not sustainable anymore. Mays and other workers also told me patient care is suffering because of staff shortages with things like longer wait times for appointments. So they see this strike as an unfortunate but necessary step to improve patient care in the long run. That's NPR's Danielle Kay. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Umbrella Arts Center, presenting Lizzie. Lizzie Borden finally gets her say in this ghost story meets rock concert musical. Now through November 5th. More at theumbrellaarts.org. And Solar Gardens. Residents can support clean energy without installing solar panels. Learn more at solargardensma.com. Good morning. This is the fall fundraiser on WBUR, and the big headline is We Are Behind. Mm -hmm. This fundraiser ends tomorrow night. We still need to raise half of our goal. Imagine, if you will, if you get your paycheck and suddenly it's, say, half of what you expect. That's kind of what will happen if you don't step up now. You make everything possible here at WBUR. Listeners are the largest share of our funding, and this is when that happens. This is when we come to you to ask you to keep us going. We make the goals that we have to keep us at the level you expect of consistently 
high-quality, factual, unbiased news. And again, this fundraiser is done tomorrow night, Mm -hmm. and we still need to make up half of our goal. If you've been waiting for the right moment, this is it. Go to WBUR.org to give or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy here with Here and Now host Robin Young. And you know, we know you've been hearing, some of you have been hearing fundraisers for a long time. You've been hearing me say 1-800-909-9287, the number to call, or WBUR.org. And we know it can get like that, is it the Charlie Brown thing? And then a little number or something, and you go off and you're using the blow dryer anyway, and so it doesn't matter. So I don't know how to say it except to say, can we just hold on for one second? Can you turn off the hair dryer? Or if, you know, if you're, uh, you know, taking the kids to work, just have everybody just for a second. This really is different. (laughs) I mean, really, we've been in tight spaces before, and this is one of them. This is a half of our goal by tomorrow night. And so we're asking if you could please, uh, you know, we know there's a lot going on. If you could make any kind of donation, a one-time donation, or if you could become a monthly contributor, any way you become a member, we have a match for anything. If it's $5, we'll match it. If it's 1000 5000 because we do have generous listeners who mm-hmm. make that decision, and we thank you so much, but now would be a good time because it would double to 10000 if it were $5,000. Mm-hmm. And it really is true. We are, we only have half our goal. It's going to be a pretty frantic day. And we've got a lot of work to do here because all of this news that's coming at you, a former president who's, yeah. you know, on trial, uh, no speaker of the House and, and Congress in, a, in disarray and a, a Republican Party in tatters, really. We know all of this is going on and we need to cover it for you. But we need to, to get this message to you. one 800 9289 wbur.org. I know that it's hard because this is a routine thing we do, come and ask you to help us. But we're telling you that right now we really need your help. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm stepping off my soapbox. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision. And hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose. Work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to this station today. Mm-hmm. NPR hosts there talking about the values that have guided this service since it began and still guide it today. You depend on us to bring you news based on those values every single day. And we are grateful to bring them to you every single day. But we need you to step up now. We are almost done with this fundraiser. Mm-hmm. It ends tomorrow night and we are behind. I can't say it enough. We are considerably behind. We need to make very, up. Very, 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 very behind. Yes. Any synonym you can think of, we are behind. We need to make up half of our goal. That only happens with you. And when you act now, what you 
give will be matched dollar for dollar. Some members of our Moral Society want you to give. They think it's so important that they have agreed to incentivize you by saying whatever dollar you put down, they will put out another dollar. Any gift will be matched. One-time gifts will be matched. Monthly gifts are appreciated and will be matched. Small, big, small, big, it all has an incredible impact. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. And from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from one platform. Learn more at indeed.com slash NPR. This is NPR. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm A. Martinez. What does it mean to have a climate job? Well, some are obvious. Think solar panel installer or an environmental scientist. Other jobs? Well, not so much. This week on NPR, we're telling stories about climate solutions. So we talked to three people whose jobs address climate change in unexpected ways. Nate Johnson is an electrician in Berkeley, California. Carolyn McGrath teaches art to high school students in Mercer County, New Jersey. And Sierra Imani May founded Rebundle, a Missouri company that makes biodegradable hair extensions. What I realized a couple summers ago was that most plastic synthetic hair is made out of PVC, which is not only a really toxic material to wear on your body, but it's also really hard to recycle. So with those two factors combined, I recognized that if I was going to continue to wear braids, I would need to do so both comfortably and sustainably, which led to the creation of our first product, which is called Braid Better and is made out of banana fiber. Carolyn McGrath, you have a very different line of work than Sierra. You teach visual arts at Hopewell Valley Central High School in New Jersey. How have you managed to work climate action into your role as an educator? Well, I've been doing art lessons for the last several years that look at issues of climate change, climate justice, and biodiversity. Nate Johnson, you were actually a journalist covering climate policy, and then you decided to become an electrician. So why did you decide to reboot your career? Many, many reasons. But in the context of this conversation, one of them was that I was listening to people talk and talk and talk, and it felt really satisfying to take my two hands and start solving the problem by helping people electrify and get off fossil fuels. Sierra, I wanted to go back to you for a second because since you mentioned it, I've been thinking about it. I want to know, how do you turn bananas into hair? (laughs) Essentially, we use a chemical process to turn the fibers from straw-like to hair-like. And our team that's based in St. Louis have gotten really good at refining and combing the fibers so that they have as much uh, motion in them that resembles hair as much as possible. Carolyn, you work with young people, obviously, working at a, at a high school. So have you found that your students, Carolyn, are already interested in sustainability when they come to you? For a lot of my students, it might be a little bit surprising to discuss sustainability or climate justice in an art class. So making art about it helps that process. And it's been interesting to see the ways that students evolve to feeling comfortable expressing their concerns, both through art and then 
to articulate that through words as well. Yeah, they're using their hands, obviously, with this. Um, Nate, you mentioned how you use your hands, too. So how do you incorporate climate action into your work as an electrician? Well, I think that climate action really just comes in terms of providing good information to people. It's in, in that sense, it's not so different from being a journalist. When someone wants to do something with their home, there's usually a profound information asymmetry between them and the contractors that they choose. And they're really relying on those people to tell them what's going to work and what doesn't and what's cost effective and what's not. So I see my role as being an honest broker and coming in and really being up to speed and giving them all of the different options. Carolyn, when you work with the students that you work with, do they tell you that what you do has helped them maybe change the way they live, the way they consume, or maybe just the way they think about the planet in the future? Well, one of the things that I try and stress through my lessons is the power of collective action and also the power of communicating through art and the way that that ripples through society. And so one of the things I really want to impress on my students is the ways that they can plug into bigger movements that are happening in our culture and society today. Nate, for you, when people find you, are they at a point where they just want to make this drastic change or are they usually just kind of curious? Well, I live in Berkeley, California, and so people are generally interested in climate action. And there's a certain amount of sort of social pressure. You know, people want to get induction stoves to replace their gas stoves, not just because it's climate action, but because everybody's doing it. But there are people who oftentimes just come to me and say like, look, I want to make the right decision in terms of dollars and cents. And I think that's sort of the most interesting case for me because the technology is there. It can almost always make sense to electrify. And there's some cases where you have to do a whole bunch of work to update the electrical system where it doesn't. But if you're thinking about the long term, it usually does. So it's that kind of education process that's most interesting to me. So this is a question for all three of you. And Sierra, I'm going to start with you on this. What would you say to someone who wants to incorporate efforts to slow climate change into their work? Do you have any advice? I encourage everyone to start with what you're already involved in, with the way you live your life and a problem that you have that is core to who you are and see what you can make out of that that can be more sustainable for yourself and other people. Carolyn, what about you? I just want to reiterate what Sierra said because she said it so beautifully. It's not about overhauling your life. It's about plugging into what you already do, what you're already passionate about. and finding the intersection between that and between climate action. For some people, it might just take a little bit of imagination, but there's so many ways that everybody can do it. Nate, what about you? Incorporating climate into your work, what's a good way to start? Dive into the research. And the more you're continuously learning and improving, the less likely you are to end up doing sort of greenwashy type things and actually make a real difference. Nate Johnson is an electrician in Berkeley, California. Carolyn McGrath teaches high school visual arts in Mercer County, New Jersey. And Sierra Imani May founded Rebundle, a hair extensions company based in St. Louis, Missouri. Nate, Carolyn, Sierra, thank you very much for your contributions. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you all. Thank you. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm E. Martinez. And I'm Leila Fadel. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Brigham and Women's Hospital. For expert, research-based obstetric and gynecologic care, turn to Brigham and Women's, specialists in women's health with the latest innovative treatments for complex conditions. U.S. News ranks Brigham and Women's number one for obstetric and gynecologic care in the country. BrighamandWomens.org. Sunny and near 80 today, partly cloudy and low 60s tonight. Mostly sunny tomorrow in the upper 70s. Right now it's 64 degrees in Boston. WBUR supporters include MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software for technical computing and model-based design, accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science. MathWorks.com. We're in our fall fundraiser here at WBUR. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Robin Young. We Mm -hmm. need to tell you that we are behind, considerably Mm -hmm. behind. Mm -hmm. This fundraiser ends tomorrow. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at your humming, not at what I'm saying here, because this is serious. The fundraiser ends tomorrow night, and that is approaching fast. Meanwhile, we still have half of our goal to make this fundraiser. We need your help. That's how it works here at WBUR. Listeners are our lifeline. They fuel WBUR. And this is when that happens. We're asking you to start a monthly gift for WBUR. If you're already a monthly contributor, please think about adding about a dollar or two to your existing monthly support. Or if a one-time gift is right for you, we'll be grateful for that too. All of it will be matched dollar for double, dollar for dollar, so your impact for WBUR will be doubled. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. 1-800-909-9287, org. And here's the thing. We have members who are, have just been trying uh, through the whole fundraiser to help you along, to, to bring you in. Uh, and uh, the way they're doing it today is a dollar for dollar match. Mm-hmm. So that means that anything you contribute, you can make a one-time contribution of a dollars $50, $25, $100, $1,000, that's going to double. You can uh, say you want to sign up to be a monthly, and we hope that you do uh, become a monthly contributor and member, uh, and that will be doubled as well for up to a, what, how long? A year. A year. That's a long, that's amazing. Uh, that's a long time. So 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. So we can get back to doing the thing that you are tuning into us. I, you know, I've been saying this just because you know, if we were any kind of a commercial station, and I've worked at them, there would be like huge campaigns. We're number one. Oh my gosh. You know, with all the, we have just grown leaps and bounds. We're so appreciative of you. You are tuning in. It's just amazing. And we are the talk of, you know, public radio for how well this station WBUR is doing as far as how many people are tuning in. That's why we need you to also do what we have come to expect from listeners, which is to help us. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. That's how it's work. It works. We don't have, you know, huge corporations that we're beholden to that tell us how they want us to do the news. That happens. 
happens mm-hmm. other places. We don't have that. We have a very little bit, a tiny, tiny fraction from the federal government. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org because we are beholden to you. You are our biggest uh, form of support, and we will uh, get, uh, dollar for dollar add to your pledges right now. You will ha- also have our incredible thanks. If Rupa and I could, we'd knock on every door. <laughs> Uh, but we'll thank you here now if you would just make that call, 1-800-909-9287. Yeah, we appreciate all gifts. We are very grateful for anything you can give. But if you're in a place where you can give a bigger gift right now, say $1,000 or $2,000, that will be doubled to $2,000 and $4,000. $10,000 will become $20,000. It becomes a lot really fast. So think about maybe the people around you who can't give or maybe are struggling right now. They are listening. They depend on us every day. They need your help to keep this service coming to them. We're in a moment when journalism has never mattered more. We have learned that lesson over the last few years. That means your support has never mattered more. You know that the cost of everything has gone up, it seems like, absolutely everything. That's why we need your help, especially right now. We need to make up half of our goal this fundraiser before the fundraiser ends tomorrow night. We need to keep we need to make that goal in order to keep our level of service to you at the same level into the future. We want to be here for you. We need your help to keep us here. Help us now when your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Rescue us in our time of need. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You have our thanks. We are so appreciative. We're so appreciative that you're just there. You know, we just we love that you're there. It, it, It just swells our hearts and makes us want to work even harder. But how great if you could call and support it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We will match you dollar for dollar. And this ends tomorrow night. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by AL Prime Energy Consultant, distributor of wholesale gasoline and diesel fuels for retail and commercial use. ALPrime.com. And Boston Ballet's Fall Experience, featuring four dynamic ballets on stage October 5th to the 15th. Tickets at bostonballet.org. I'm All Things Considered host Lisa Mullins, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. This year, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry honors researchers in the United States who developed and studied tiny particles called quantum dots. NPR's Nell Greenfield-Boyce reports these particles are now used in technologies such as TV screens and biomedical imaging. The winners of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry are Munji Bowendi of MIT, Louis Bruce of Columbia University, and Alexei Akimov of Nanocrystals Technology Incorporated for their research on particles that are so small that properties such as color are determined by quantum effects. Unusually, the winners' names were leaked to the Swedish media before the official announcement. Asked about that at a press conference, Bowendi said he'd been sound asleep. Uh, So, no, I didn't hear anything about it. Until he got woken up by a phone call from the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. Nell Greenfield-Boyce, NPR News. The House of Representatives won't conduct any business today after lawmakers voted to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. 
NPR's Windsor Johnston tells us hardline Republicans have been warning for months they would move against McCarthy. In the end, just eight Republicans voted to oust McCarthy. All the other votes came from Democrats. This vote coming just days after the same hardline Republicans excoriated McCarthy for relying on Democratic support to avert a government shutdown. It's unclear who will ultimately replace McCarthy, but for now, Congressman Patrick McHenry will serve in the interim role. NPR's Windsor Johnston reporting. The White House says President Biden will announce fresh debt relief for students. It's worth about $9 billion. The statement says the forgiveness will be offered through existing federal student loan programs, and about 125,000 Americans are eligible. This comes the same month as student loan borrowers are supposed to start making payments again. Some of these were suspended during the pandemic. Former President Donald Trump says he plans on testifying at his New York fraud trial. NPR's Jimena Bustillo reports the trial is examining whether Trump wrongly inflated the value of his assets. Donald Trump did not have to come into the New York County Supreme Court in Lower Manhattan for the start of his civil trial, but for a second day he came in to sit alongside his legal team as the attorney general kicked off questioning of his former associates. During a break in proceedings, Trump told reporters he does plan on testifying at the appropriate time. He's on the list of witnesses for both the New York Attorney General's team and his defense team. Though being on the list does not mean that he will get called. Trump and his sons, who are also on the witness list, are being accused of inflating the cost of their assets in order to secure better deals. The Attorney General's office is arguing that they did so willingly and committed insurance fraud. Trump denies the allegations. Jimena Bustillo, NPR News, inside the New York County Supreme Court. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. Governor Maura Healey will sign a $1 billion tax relief bill into law later today. The long-awaited bill includes a number of tax reforms aimed at helping businesses, as well as tax credits for renters, caregivers, and low-income families. WBUR's Zanindor and Wameka reports. The tax bill comes after nearly two years of deliberations that started under the previous governor. The bill itself is pretty wide-ranging. There are tax credits for parents and caregivers, relief for renters, seniors, and low-income families as well. The bill also cuts the tax rate on short-term capital gains and simplifies how the state calculates corporate taxes. Now taxpayers will get about $561 million in relief this fiscal year. That relief will be more than a billion dollars annually, starting in fiscal year 2027. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Zeninjor and Wameka. The president of Nichols College in Dudley has resigned. Gleansel Macy stepped down yesterday after an investigation into his time at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. He's accused of improperly handling sexual assault investigations while working there. Officials at Nichols College say they will not make their investigation public. Investigators say they found the cause of a plane crash that killed former Patriots tight end Russ Francis. The National Transportation Safety Board says the plane's engine lost power before it crashed in Lake Placid, New York, last weekend. Francis was 70 years old. The plane's pilot was also killed. Foxborough Public Schools are changing their high school logo. The school committee voted last night to replace the Warriors' current icon, which uses Native American imagery. The school will keep its Warriors nickname. Mass Live reports the decision passed with three of five members voting in favor. A new image will be picked at a later date. It's 8.07. 
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fort Point Arts Community, inviting you to tour the iconic artist studios at Open Studios October 13th through 15th. For more information about this free event, visit fortpointarts.org. The Bruins lost an exhibition game to the Washington Capitals last night. The final at the Garden was 5-4 to four in overtime. The Bees will visit the New York Rangers tomorrow. Sunny skies today. It'll be in the 70s at the coast, 80s inland, partly cloudy tonight and in the 60s, mostly sunny tomorrow and in the 70s. Right now it's 64 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include the Joyce Foundation, committed to advancing racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Learn more at JoyceFDN.org. Good morning. This is Morning Edition, and we're in our fall fundraiser here at WBUR. The message we need you to hear right now is that we are behind. In other words, we are not where we need to be. Not enough of you have called in or gone gone to WBUR.org to give. We need to make up half of our goal before this fundraiser ends tomorrow night. Members of our Murrow Society have agreed to match whatever you give right now. They're really hoping that motivates you because they can't carry this alone. We need your help. WBUR.org or call one 800 909-9287. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Jay Clayton. Good morning, Rupa, and good morning to you, and thank you for choosing WBUR. We really appreciate that you're here listening. We hope that you will help us get the second half of our goal because, as Rupa says, we are flat out running out of time in this fundraiser. We are going to end it tomorrow night no matter what. We need to end it on goal. Hopefully you know that because you're hearing all of the news coming out of Washington, all of the important news right here in our own backyard. We need to be able to have the resources that it takes to cover that. And those resources come from contributions from our listeners. So when you step up and give and help us get to the end of our fundraiser tomorrow night on goal, if you can do that this morning, your gift will be doubled thanks to some members of our Murrow Society. They will double your gift of $10 a month or $20 a month or $50 a month. They will double your gift of $1,000 or five dollars or $10,000 for WBUR. We're in a moment here, and we really need your help to meet this goal. And we are, like I said, flat out running out of time. Go to WBUR.org to help us out or call 1-800-909-9287. 1-800-909-9287. Again, we need to make up half of our goal. The fundraiser ends tomorrow night. That is a deadline that is looming for us. It is coming up so fast. Think about what you get from WBOR. Here's a great example of what listener support does for us. How we treat strangers, newcomers, has always been a defining characteristic of our country. And it's something Massachusetts is grappling with as our state-funded family shelter system sees a growing number of migrants, many of them fleeing Haiti. This is unprecedented time that require unprecedented solution. Unprecedented times also require all the new information we can get. I've reported on how families have been turning to emergency rooms simply looking for a roof over their head as they go through the shelter application process. We broke the story about Boston Medical Center closing their lobby doors and sending some families to Logan Airport as a place to sleep until state field offices open. We dissected the record-breaking numbers, the budget challenges, the shelter sites that have no staff at all, and the frustration of town and city officials. We need more help. We really do. We need this to be a little bit more organized. 
And we've heard from the families themselves, often about their years-long journeys to the U.S. and what it's been like in a whole new country. I believe the real story and the real public dialogue comes only when we know the full situation from a lot of different perspectives. It's that depth and context that WBUR provides to our listeners, our readers, and our whole community. From Gabriella's work there on the migrant crisis, Rupa, to the investigative team at WBUR, their work on the housing crisis here Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. We are doing some gutsy, compelling journalism, and we can't stop. We need your help to be able to keep it going. And the only way we can do that is if we have your financial support. We have half of our goal yet to raise. The fundraiser ends tomorrow night. Don't wait until then to give because there is a match on the table right at this moment that will double the impact of whatever you can give to WBUR, be it $10 or $20 or $30 a month, be it $1,000 or $5 or $10,000. It's doubled right at this moment. We don't know how long this is going to last. Probably won't be long at all. So jump in while you can and make the most of what you can give. WBUR.org or 1-800-909-9287. We are considerably behind and we need your help. We are running out of time every morning here at the here at Morning Edition. We are thinking about what you need to know. When you listen, you can trust that you are fully informed. Show that you value this service when we need your help the most. These goals are important. They keep us on track and make sure we can keep bringing you the news you expect. We are only halfway toward that goal. We have a lot of ground to make up. We need your help, especially now when there's a match on the table that will double your impact. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.gov. And Lauren Holleran with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty in Cambridge, real estate brokerage that is grounded in data and committed to thoughtful design. LaurenHolleran.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Leila Faldil in Washington, D.C. Kevin McCarthy is out as House Speaker after Democrats joined eight rebellious Republicans in voting to remove him. You need 218. Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican speaker in this House. Congress now enters uncharted territory, and it's still unclear who the next long-term leader of the chamber will be. NPR congressional correspondent Claudia Grisales has been following the turmoil from the Capitol and joins me now. Hi, Claudia. Good morning, Layla. Good morning. So what happened yesterday? So we saw Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates lead this rebellion of eight Republicans, you mentioned, who voted with Democrats to claim a majority of the votes to oust McCarthy from his speakership. It was a stunning scene in the chamber last night. McCarthy vacillated between a frozen look on his face and laughing, and it ended in this very historic moment. So, Claudia, you've been in the Capitol for all of this drama, and Kevin McCarthy has had a difficult path since the beginning of his speakership, not even a year ago that it started. So tell us about how he got here. 
Right. In January, it took 15 rounds for his own party to elect him speaker. He came into the role as one of the weakest speakers in modern times. But despite this, McCarthy did avert a national crisis with two key bipartisan votes in the House this year, the debt limit deal earlier this year, and then a bill this past weekend to keep the government open to avert a shutdown. But in the end, it was that last deal that was too much for many hardliners in his conference who moved to end his speakership. Did McCarthy fight to keep his job? He argues he did, but truly this time was marked by a series of unforced errors. A lot of those who voted against him said that he reached out, and when he did, he only solidified their plans to vote against him. One member described his conversation with McCarthy before the vote as condescending. And then in extended remarks to reporters last night, McCarthy was defiant. He attacked everyone who voted against him. But Democrats, for example, who voted to oust him, said he did not try to negotiate with them in any way. And this was a culmination of what they saw as a long list of betrayals from the January 6th attack and its actions that followed to the impeachment inquiry into President Biden today. So now what happens next? I mean, North Carolina Republican Patrick McHenry was named as the interim speaker. What do we know about him? He was formerly in leadership. He left because of chaos. He now chairs the House Financial Services Committee. He's a longtime McCarthy ally, but he has a good relationship with members. That said, he doesn't appear to be interested in holding on to the gavel permanently, but he played a very key role during the debt limit deal, and many trust him. Okay, so how do they pick their next person? I mean, this is a really important time in Congress. What do we know about what happens in the future? Right. This is unchartered territory. And we should note that we're now we're facing a new government shutdown deadline, yeah. November 17th. So we have a lot of work to do. So committees can work. But for example, the House floor is frozen until a speaker is chosen. I'm told by members there's going to be a candidate forum for the next speaker Tuesday evening. And they'll try to hold a vote on Wednesday. But the list of candidates to replace McCarthy is growing long. And as we heard from McCarthy, 218 is a magic number that may need to be reached for the new speaker. And there's a big if, if they can get to 218. NPR's Claudia Grisales. Thanks so much, Claudia. Thank you. All right, with just over three months to go until the Iowa caucuses, a rematch of the 2020 election seems more and more likely. Former President Donald Trump is a Republican frontrunner, and President Biden is running for re-election with no real Democratic rivals. Both candidates, though, are also unpopular among the broader public. A new NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll out today has the latest insights into how the American people are feeling in this moment. Here with us now is NPR political correspondent Daniel Kurtzleben. Um, okay, so on the whole, voters view both Biden and Trump unfavorably. They're worried about how old they are. Biden's 80, Trump is 77. Danielle, uh, what more does the poll tell us about how voters view the two candidates? Sure. So there's a lot of nuance to how voters see Biden and Trump. On the whole, yes, the broader electorate sees both Biden and Trump more unfavorably than favorably. But they are both relatively popular within their parties. Around three in four Republican voters are satisfied with Trump being their nominee. They're very or somewhat satisfied. And three in four Democrats are satisfied with Biden to some degree. Now, you can look at that one of two ways. One is that a substantial majority of those voters are happy with their candidates, or you can look at that as one in four in each party are unsatisfied with their nominee. And that is substantial, even if it's not a majority. A couple other things here, though. Trump has more solid support than Biden, it appears, because more Republicans say they're very satisfied with Trump than Democrats who say so about Biden. 
But then again, Trump also has much bigger unfavorables, which is to say, as you and I and everybody has said about Trump in since time immemorial, he's polarizing. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And some Republicans who voted for him last time just don't want to again. Here's Arthur Frasca. He's a voter from Waterford, Michigan. I think Trump, if he had a Congress that would work with him, things might get done. I think people will hinder him just because of his personality. And I don't think we can afford that. And you'll hear this a lot from Republican voters, that they oppose Trump not necessarily because they dislike him or think he's done illegal things or immoral things, but because they think he's so polarizing that he just can't be effective. All right. So that's Republicans and Trump. What about Democrats and Biden? Well, of course, you do have some uh, some voters who just aren't crazy about Biden as well. This is Julie Tyndall from North Carolina. She voted for Biden in 2020, but is nervous about doing so again because of his age. But more interestingly, she told me she's just really disillusioned with both parties. They never tend to do anything that's actually beneficial to this country. They just keep fighting each other, and that's all they care about. And right now, you just have a lot of voters who are that kind of disillusioned, who are distrustful of government and just tired of all politics. Yeah, there's still a lot more politics to go, though. Trump hasn't even been officially nominated at this point. He's been indicted four times, so a lot can happen between now and the election. But what does the poll tell us about how things might play out? Right. Well, first of all, like you said, right, he's not nominated yet, uh, uh, but he still has the highest favorables among Republican voters of all the GOP primary candidates by a long shot. The only other Republicans seen favorably by a, by a majority is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. But we did ask also, OK, what, what happens if he's nominated and convicted of a crime? We asked voters this, and this poll suggests he'd lose quite a bit of support. Only two-thirds of Republicans who favor him say they would if he were convicted, and only around one-third of independents would. So he would he would take quite a hit among both of those groups, and with margins as tight as they often are, that could make a huge difference. As NPR political correspondent Danielle Kurtzleben, thanks. Yes, thank you. The sudden offensive by Azerbaijan that forced more than 100,000 ethnic Armenians to flee to neighboring Armenia has left the enclave of Nagorno-Karabakh nearly abandoned. Armenia is scrambling to absorb the flood of refugees, as NPR's Peter Kenyon reports from the Armenian capital, Yerevan. The dramatic emptying out of the Nagorno-Karabakh enclave inside Azerbaijan has plunged Armenia into a humanitarian crisis one that analyst Tigran Gregorian says will take some time to deal with. At this point, the whole society, the entire society, and the state as well is focused on solving the humanitarian needs of these people and all the other problems stemming from this catastrophe. Gregorian heads the Regional Center for Democracy and Security in Yerevan. He says authorities are launching support programs for the refugees, but that doesn't get at the underlying problems. But of course, social programs will not address the grievances that this population has because they have been left behind basically by the whole world, by the international community, partly by the government of Armenia. So they are very, very angry, and it's very natural that they are angry. History suggests there's plenty of anger on both sides. Two wars have been fought since 1994, leaving tens of thousands killed or displaced. Once Armenia can look beyond the immediate humanitarian demands, there looms the challenge of adding this unexpected spike in the population of three million to a far-from-booming economy. As for what comes next, many Armenians say they feel like that's out of their control. 
A piano plays in the background as the Illich Art Café and Club prepares for customers. Owner Anahit Sahakian says even though many people were expecting something to happen, the mass flight from the enclave inside Azerbaijan still came as a shock. She says her aunt was among those forced to flee. Yes, she says it was a real hell. They uh, traveled for 38 hours and she's a woman of 65 and she feels not very well now. She's trying to <laughs> recover. A few blocks away, the Beatles bar is much quieter on a Monday night than its name would suggest. But behind the bar, Hovhannes Bogosian says he and his friends mainly want some peace and quiet. But he's not optimistic because the balance of power is so tilted, with Turkey firmly on the side of Azerbaijan. It's very bad, but I knew this will be. Because there is a big country against the small country. A big brother beat a small brother, yes. People here say this crisis may have rocked Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan, but the previous government's tenure was marked by rampant corruption, so Pashinyan can't be counted out. He's leading a deeply polarized country in which the majority of voters don't like either of the two main parties. Analyst Igran Gregorian says the last election for Yerevan mayor was a good example. Turnout was a record low 28%. Gregorian says another Azerbaijani grab for territory is certainly a possibility, especially since the international community showed such a muted response to what he and many Armenians call a case of ethnic cleansing. It is amazing that an ethnic cleansing happened in the 21st century and there is absolutely no reaction from the international community. If this happened somewhere in Europe, I believe these people would already be on wanted lists, international wanted lists. I mean the leadership in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan rejects the charge of ethnic cleansing, but it is moving quickly, changing the names of the cities and switching road signs from Armenian to Azeri. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Yerevan, Armenia. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Welch and Forbes. Over 180 years of experience providing trustee services for individuals and families. WelchForbes.com. And Arts Thursdays at Harvard, with Carpenter Center for the Visual Arts 60th Anniversary. Artists talk by Pope L. and opening of This Machine Creates Opacities, tomorrow at 6. You're back with the Fall Fundraiser here on WBUR. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Robin Young. We have an urgent message for you that we are considerably behind in our goal for this fundraiser. It ends tomorrow night. That is not much time. Time is running out. We need you to act now, especially now when we have a match on the table, but only until 10 o'clock. All you have to do is go to WBUR.org or call one 800 909 9287 right now, and you will do twice as much for WPUR. And we know that you want to help us as much as you can. This is when we need you to do that because we still need to make half our goal before the fundraiser ends. Mm. Make sure this program stays as strong as what you hear every morning. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Here's Robin. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. And here's the good news, Rupa. People have been calling. 
I mean, we really appreciate you. Uh, we have been saying this morning, you know, we're being honest. We're <laughs> transparent. We tell the truth. Uh, the truth is that we've only made half our goal, and that's not great. And we have a lot to do uh, between now and tomorrow night. But we're going to do it with your help. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org, and that match, that dollar for dollar, every dollar you pledge, either a one-time pledge now or if you get in as a, a monthly sustainable member, we would appreciate that as well. Every single dollar gets mashed. And if remember, with the monthly, that's for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So you get a dollar, dollar match for a whole year. So please consider them uh, because your money goes further, but consider them because whatever it is, you know, $10, $50, 5000 we have had one, I'm fishing for that whoever that is, you know, to to please uh, make that contribution now so they can breathe a little easier, but also that you can take advantage of this match dollar for dollar. You know, we want to get back. We're going to be working on the news. What is? I want to remind people we have no Speaker of the House, and the Speaker of the House is second in line behind the Vice President. Should anything happen to the President, this is an important position. Plus, nothing is happening in Congress till we find a new one. And, And so we want to get back to that news. Also, the great stories we get to tell you. We have something coming up on um, Here and Now today that I know people here are going to be interested in. Carol Gilligan, who was a super rock star of psychology in the 1980s. Rupa, get this. Hmm. In the 1980s, the thinking still was in psychology that women were morally deficient to men because men made made their decisions based on law and order. Yes, no, on ethical questions. Women were more nuanced. Carol came along and said, that's bull. They just have a different voice. That was her book. Now she's coming back saying, you know, that voice, that caring voice, everyone should access that. We don't want to gender a caring That's voice. She's amazing. So we have her on today. We The range of things that you're going to hear here on WBUR over the course of, the, of a day is astonishing. You know, we don't just have talking heads on politics. It's important, but we have so much more. How much is it worth to you? And how about uh, making that pledge now for whatever it, it's worth to you and getting a dollar for dollar match to only 10 o'clock this morning. So 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It's Layla Faldid from NPR's Morning Edition. The demonization of fact-based journalism is one of democracy's biggest threats. This aversion to truth has taken hold as the number of local newsrooms has dwindled, leaving reams of disinformation to fill the void. In public radio, we have a responsibility to counteract disinformation. This station is an oasis amid all the noise and fiction. Having a reporter at the school board meeting at City Hall, that is our resistance to the undermining of a free press. We resist by being there, by providing platforms for people to see themselves reflected and to see difference. We resist by building bridges and by holding people to account. We do it thanks to you. You give us the tools we need to fight attacks on truth by donating to this station. Here's how. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Layla Fottle there reminding you that you make NPR and WBUR possible. You, 
you make w, you make us possible. But we are not where we need to be this fundraiser. We have a lot of ground to make up before it ends tomorrow night. Help us when we need you the most. Mm-hmm. Right now, when your gift will be doubled. But that's only on the table until 10. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Any gift will be appreciated and matched dollar for dollar right now. But if you can, if you're in a place to give a big gift, help us out with that. We need it a lot right now. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Support for NPR comes from this station and from CrowdStrike, whose cybersecurity platform is designed to protect organizations by monitoring trillions of cyber events to detect threats and prevent breaches before they happen. CrowdStrike, protection that powers you. From BritBox, streaming new and familiar British comedies starring Greg Davies, David Tennant, Ricky Gervais, Chris O'Dowd, and others. Available at BritBox.com NPR. From Drexel University, whose cooperative education program works to empower students to explore future careers and discover their ideal profession before graduation. This is experiential education. More at drexel.edu. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. This year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry is being shared by three scientists in the U.S., Munji Bowendi of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Louis E. Bruce of Columbia University, and Alexei Ekimov of Nanocrystals Technology in New York. The three are being honored for the discovery and development of quantum dots. Johann Ackvist is chair of the Nobel Committee. For a long time, nobody thought you could ever actually make such small particles, but this year's laureates succeeded. Their work has led to new technology in TV screens and bioimaging. House Republicans are looking for a new speaker. The list of possibilities includes GOP Congressman Steve Scalise of Louisiana and Jim Jordan of Ohio. Kevin McCarthy was ousted as House Speaker yesterday when eight Republican lawmakers joined Democrats to vote him out. It was a first for the House on a vote of 216 to 210. Republican Matt Gates of Florida introduced the motion to remove McCarthy. What's paralyzed the House of Representatives has been the failure of Speaker McCarthy. What paralyzed the House of Representatives was not taking up appropriations bills. We left for a six-week vacation while the appropriations process hung in the balance. McCarthy says he has no plans to run again for House Speaker. This is NPR News. From WBNR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. And my computer is not working. Apologies. The Boston City Council is set to vote today on whether to accept millions of dollars in state grants for the intelligence arm of the Boston Police Department. As WBUR's Walter Wuthman reports, Mayor Michelle Wu is pushing for the funding after opposing it as a counselor. The mayor wants the council to approve $3.4 million for the Boston Regional Intelligence Center. Police say the money would allow them to hire eight more people to assist with live crime tracking and data analysis. But civil liberties advocates have long criticized the center, arguing it disproportionately targets minority communities. A federal appeals court slammed the agency's gang database last year, saying it was built on, quote, unsubstantiated inferences. Counselors appear split on the issue. The body's more conservative members say the money is needed for public safety. 
progressives are looking to block the funding again, as Mayor Wu did when she was a city councilor two years ago. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Walter Wuthman. Today on Beacon Hill, the House plans to vote on a bill that would require some businesses to disclose wage or salary ranges on job postings. The bill would affect businesses with at least 25 employees. Those in favor of the bill say it would help close gender and racial wealth gaps. Employers will also have to report wage data to a state office that tracks workforce development. Your cell phone is going to be hit with an alert this afternoon at 2.20. But don't worry, it's just a test. Patrick Scahill reports it's a rare test of a nationwide system. The wireless emergency alert system is a way to send targeted text-like messages to cell phones to warn of eminent safety threats. Since its launch in 2012, it's been used tens of thousands of times to warn people about severe weather, missing children, and other dangers. But nationwide tests of the alert system are relatively rare. This test of wireless devices is only the second time it's happened on cellular phones. Officials say it will help ensure the system works in the event of a real national emergency. During the test, cell phones should ring with a unique tone and vibration, and the message will display in either English or Spanish depending on the language of the phone. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Patrick Scahill. It's 835. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink Software, powering the Engineering Design Workshop exhibit at the Museum of Science, mathworks.com MOS. The Bruins fell to the Washington Capitals in an exhibition game last night. The final at the Garden was 5-4 to four in overtime. The Bees will play their final exhibition game tomorrow night against the Rangers in New York. Tonight in Foxborough, the New England Revolution will face the Columbus Crew. Clear skies and a bit of a breeze today. Temperatures will rise to highs near 80. Tonight they drop to the low 60s. Overnight we may see some patchy fog and that may last into early tomorrow. Then a mix of sun and clouds on Thursday with highs in the upper 70s. Right now it's 66 degrees in Boston. You're WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U dot com. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Leila Faldil in Washington, D.C. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. Kevin McCarthy went through 15 rounds of votes to become Speaker of the House. It took just one to remove him. I leave the speakership with a sense of pride, accomplishment, and yes, optimism. Eight Republican hardliners joined Democrats in pushing McCarthy out, and McCarthy says he won't try to push himself back in. Liam Donovan is a Republican strategist who's here with us now. Liam, if such a a small group of Republicans was able to topple the speaker, what does it say about the GOP's ability to lead? 
Well, I think this is overdetermined in some ways. This has been on a collision course since January. Uh, the fact that it did take the 15 rounds that you mentioned, um, we always knew that there was going to be this empowered rump that had uh, a nihilistic streak. And if joined by all Democrats, this was always going to be uh, the case. So I think the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy did the did the right thing in multiple instances um, forced this is unfortunate, uh, and it changes the incentives going forward. Uh, but it does, uh, you know, force sort of a reckoning within the Republican Party. I do think the way this shook out probably galvanizes the party to some degree. I think there is a, a level of, of, of unity uh, for all but the, the eight members that sort of prompted this mutiny. We'll have to see what they do in uh, resettling themselves around a, a new speaker. But it is something that I think is all too predictable and yet mm. uh, so abrupt that people are still catching their breath. So GOP voters shouldn't question the ability to lead for the party right now? Well, I think in this case, it's a question, how do you get around this determined rump who uh, in the current um, setup of, of, of a House majority, if you can't marshal a majority at any given time, you're going to have challenges leading. And so it becomes a question of when speakers step up and put must pass legislation on the floor, uh, is that going to risk their job every time? And I think looking forward, uh, it does seem to be the case that if you make a deal, uh, then there are going to be a handful of people that, that look to take you down. So I think there has to be some understanding. Uh, between the minority and the majority that we're not going to punish people for doing the right thing. Now, in case uh, people don't know, you don't have to be a House member to be House Speaker. That's why some Republicans might want to see Donald Trump become the next Speaker. Uh, who's on your list, Liam? Well, I think you have to look at leadership uh, to, to begin with. And I think we've already uh, begun to see the machinations uh, begin with particularly leader Steve Scalise. I think there were some questions regarding his health status, but the fact that he's going for it, making the calls, uh, suggests that he'd be sort of the leader in the clubhouse. Um, other members of leadership have begun to endorse him. He's making the rounds, but there's always going to be other names. And I think... Um, you're hearing people like Jim Jordan, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee, I think somebody who is considered kind of a conservative stalwart and maybe somebody who's been on the lips of people in previous speaker fights. He seems to be potentially interested, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, there could be some dark horses, but I think people are going to watch what the big names do uh, before they really make any aggressive moves right now. I mean, every single seat in the House is up for grabs. I mean, how's the GOP going to play with voters in elections this next year? I mean, the infighting, how's that going to play? Yeah, well, like I said, I think the fact that there was a uh, lockstep move by Democrats to go after McCarthy in a, an interesting way, I think, does allow them to have a rallying cry. It gives them this sense that uh, that, that McCarthy was sort of martyred for for doing his job. I think Democrats have <laughs> have a, a certainly different view of things, but I do think that will help to unify uh, the the remaining members. And again, it's still that uh, handful of of members that have just completely contorted incentives. Uh, are looking for attention, are looking to raise money for, in their own right, uh, less uh, interested in, in supporting the team. But at the end of the day, I think keeping things on the rails uh, and keeping the attention on Joe Biden's administration is going to be the key for keeping the House and potentially growing it to a point where you're not constantly under threat of a handful of members. Liam Donovan is a Republican strategist. Liam, thanks. Thanks. Roman Catholic leaders are meeting at the Vatican starting today to discuss the future of the church. Among the topics on the agenda, being more responsive to laity's concerns, women in ministry, and being more welcoming of divorced and LGBTQ Catholics. Joining us to discuss the meeting is NPR religion correspondent Jason DeRose. Jason, so help us understand what this meeting is 
actually about? Well, the term the Vatican is using is a synod on synodality, which is a big term, which essentially means it's a series of conversations about how the church conceives of itself, listens to itself. This month's meeting is part of a several-year-long process of listening. Local Catholic parishes began holding listening sessions back in 2021 and 2022, and then reports from those listening sessions went to dioceses and archdioceses, and then on to the Vatican. And the report that summarized those sessions came out this summer. It was called Making the Tent Bigger. Okay, so the church did a lot of listening. What did they wind up hearing? Well, laity said they wanted a church that takes them seriously, a more responsive church, a more bottom-up than top-down approach. I spoke with Professor Massimo Fagioli of Villanova University in Pennsylvania, who says that sentiment matches a metaphor Pope Francis has used during his time leading Roman Catholics. It's a church as a mother uh, who makes no differences between their children, whether they are sinners or saints, gays or straight, it makes no difference. And that's an image that has resonated with so many during Francis's papacy, mother rather than stern father. Still, there are some conservatives in the church who aren't happy with the direction or the tone that Francis has set. They say all these conversations, all this openness and possibility of change only confuses the faithful. Okay, so then what were the topics lay Catholics said they specifically wanted the church to think about differently? Well, the first and one that's been given a lot of attention is the role of women in ministry. This synod at the Vatican will discuss the possibility of allowing women to become deacons in the Catholic Church. Right now, that's a role restricted only to men. Now, deacons can preach and teach and baptize, but unlike priests, they aren't allowed to preside at communion or hear confessions. It's important to note that at this synod, for the first time, there will be women taking part. About 10% of the delegates are women. Another issue that came out during these listening sessions was that the laity want the Church to be more welcoming of all Catholics, especially divorced Catholics, and LGBTQ Catholics. Many priests still deny communion to those who've divorced and remarried. And the official Catholic teaching is that homosexuality is intrinsically disordered, which is not exactly welcoming for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Other topics that could be on the table, married priests and the possibility of blessing same-sex couples. Okay, now any decisions expected to come out from this synod? Well, nothing right away. This is a process that moves at the speed of church, which is to say, slowly. <laughs> uh, the meeting starting today continues until the end of October, and then the Synod on Synodality is actually continuing next October, when delegates will go back to the Vatican and vote on some sort of official document. That would then go up to Vatican hierarchy and the Pope himself. Any actual change would come down after that. So it'll be a while, but what comes of it could be defining for Francis's legacy. All right, that's NPR religion correspondent Jason DeRose. Jason, thanks. You're welcome. This is NPR News. Millions of people depend on the NPR network. We depend on you. Your support is central to our journalistic integrity. Donate to this station today, and thank you. This is the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR. I'm Rupa Shanoi here with Robin Young. We are not where we need to be for this mm -hmm. fundraiser. We are only halfway toward our goal, so we have a lot of ground to make up before it ends tomorrow night. That deadline is approaching so quickly. It'll be here before you know it. Help us when we need you most. 
right now when your gift will be doubled. You heard right. There is a there's a match on the table. Some members of our Murrow Society will match whatever you give dollar for dollar. Your impact for WBUR will be doubled, but that's only on the table until 10. So that's a little that hour and 15 minutes. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and get in on this match and help us when we need you the most. Thank you. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Ruba Shinoi, who's become such wonderful company for you, so soothing in the morning, is also a hard-news news reporter. <laughs> so hard-nosed, hard-nosed news reporter. And so she's telling you the facts. She's saying, this is the, these are the facts. This is ending tomorrow night. We're halfway to where we need to be. We have a match on the table for whatever you can give right now. We are hoping that you pledge either one time, we so appreciate it, or commit to being a monthly contributor because we're really looking to have some stability here. That's Those are the facts right there. So what are we going to do with those things? <laughs> we're hoping that what you do is go to the phone and make a call, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. We heard Mary, Mary Louise Kelly start this break. How about her interview? I'm such a fan. Oh, how about her interview with Millie, you know, retiring yeah. General Millie yesterday? How about when Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State yeah. then, said to her, she asked him about Ukraine. He goes, you can't find Ukraine on a map. She said, get me a map. There's a map. No <laughs> names on it. She says, there's Ukraine. I've been there. I mean, th this is what you tune in for, this clear-eyed coverage of the news and so much of it right now, but also all the incredible stories we bring you. I'm thinking on, on, on Here and Now, we had a story this week, we, uh, something we saw in the Boston Globe, and we decided we need to know about that, a, a young trans uh, teen who explained gender dysphoria to her family using a toilet plunger. Hmm. You have to listen. It is so delightful. Or, you know, a cookbook from Karen Akunowitz, the top chef here in this area. The things that are outside the news. We bring you everything. That tapestry is hard to do. You know, if we just went round the clock with talking heads, that's a lot cheaper. <laughs> it is hard to do what we try to do for you. Please help us do it. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org because it ends tomorrow night. We're halfway to where we need to be, and we've got a match, a dollar for dollar match on the table right now. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose, work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to this station today. Time is running out. There is a match on the table only until $10. Dollar for dollar match. You can double your impact for WBUR. Time is also running out because this fundraiser ends tomorrow night and we have a lot of ground to make up. We are considerably behind. We need you to act now while this match is on the table. We need your help right now. Do twice as much for WBUR when you call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR. 
Noir. Make sure this program say, stays as strong as what you depend on every morning. The news you turn to absolutely every morning, that's what you make possible when you call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Help us make this goal. We are far away from it. We need your help. And thank you so much for your help. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Fall Experience, featuring four dynamic ballets, on stage October 5th to the 15th. Tickets at bostonballet.org. And Greener You, designing and implementing building energy systems for a fossil-free future. Learn more at greeneru.com. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Flash floods like the ones that ravaged Lemonster last month are expected to happen more often in Massachusetts with climate change. Some communities are turning to natural solutions. In Reading, the town is building a wetland. WBUR's Paolo Mora has more on how the project can serve as an example. So we're in Reading right now. We're standing above the Aberjona River. That's Alex Rosicki, a senior engineer for the town. He points to where the river flows through a square concrete channel underneath the street called a box culvert. Rosicki says with recent heavy rain, it's over three feet high and it can get worse. And I've seen it up to the top of this six foot box culvert in the past as well during these heavier storms. The rapid flow can clog the culvert and cause flooding in backyards upstream. This area is a choke point for the Aberjona River. Water rushing through the culvert also floods downstream, where there's a forested conservation area and other homes. In wet months, when the ground is already saturated, even one to two inches of rain could flood many homes' backyards. Rainfall is expected to become heavier with climate change. So the town wants to engineer a better solution by using natural strategies to direct the water flow. It's hired contractors to build a wetland and seven holding ponds. Then they will divert the covert flow into that area. The water is going to sort of meander and flow through sort of and kind of fill up, go to the next pond, fill up, go to the next pond, slow it down, take the pollutants out, take the sediment out, and then eventually discharge to the Aberjona. Natural solutions like building a wetland help make communities more resilient to climate change and also have other benefits like cleaning the water. When the rain falls on houses, streets and lawns, it picks up pollutants like cigarette butts, debris and dog waste. And the wetland will offer wildlife habitat and a space for recreation. The contractors will plant native species and will build a boardwalk with nature overlooks. Paul Kirschen is a professor of climate adaptation at UMass Boston. He says projects that mimic or expand nature are cheaper to build and maintain. This solution here helps keep the water where water falls, so it replicates a natural system. Kirschen says that climate change is modifying the way engineers have looked at these challenges. Before a solution to dealing with stormwater increases would be just to build bigger pipes in the ground. And that is very expensive and just very disruptive and just essentially moves the problem downstream. The state is investing in nature-based solutions. Over the past six years, it's awarded over $130 million to municipalities through grants from the Municipal Vulnerability Program. 
It funds projects that help communities to adapt to the changing climate. This project in Reading just began construction. There are other similar projects also in the Mystic River watershed that are in the planning stages. That's why this project might be so important, because it's the first. If they can show that it works, we can build more of these. And it's not only an example for the Mystic, it's also an example for the Charles River and for the Neponset River. In fact, 20 communities along the Mystic River have come together to address flooding in the watershed. The Resilient Mystic Collaborative has identified areas in the watershed where a natural solution could help. Reading was one of the top three. Julie Wormser is with the Mystic River Watershed Association and works with the collaborative. It's the most urban watershed in New England, and we have everyone from undocumented New Americans to Moderna billionaires and everything in between. Being the most urban means that more surfaces are paved, making it more difficult to absorb water when it rains. The Resilient Mystic Collaborative is helping other towns and cities apply for grants to make a bigger impact on the whole watershed. Collectively, we've brought in $61 million, mostly over the last two years, in state and federal funding for projects like these. But these projects won't solve all flooding problems. For example, the wetland in Reading is designed to help alleviate flooding for storms up to 10 inches in a day. But when you look at what just happened to Lemonster, where they got 11 inches in five hours, we've realized that it's not possible to prevent flooding. We're really focused on preventing flood damage. Back in Reading, Alex Rosicki looks out at the wetland under construction. He says while this project will only make a small impact in the overall watershed, it will make a big difference locally. What this project really will focus on is reducing that flash, instantaneous flooding. He hopes that as more of these natural solutions are constructed, more communities in the watershed will be protected. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Paula Moura. At NPR and this station, we're not beholden to anybody but you. Public media is central to our democracy, so please keep it strong and donate today. This is the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR. I'm Rupa Shinoy here with Robin Young, and you only have a little more than an hour to get in on a dollar-for-dollar match. We need your help to make sure the reporting that you hear and depend on every morning keeps happening. We are considerably behind compared to where we need to be this fundraiser. Our deadline is looming. This fundraiser ends tomorrow night. So if you think about, just in general, if you think about how you can make a difference as an individual and wonder how you can do that, this is it. Your Mm -hmm. monthly gift matters. Any gift matters. You can feel confident about that because you listen every day. You know the strong, consistent journalism we bring you. That happens because of a community of listeners who already give. All you have to do is join them and make them stronger. Any amount helps us, especially when you give on a monthly basis. That lets us plan for future coverage. But we will be grateful for any gift. And whatever you give will be matched dollar for dollar right now. We need you to call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I need to let Robin talk because she is eager. She wants to talk. Go for it, girl. But, uh, you know, just... 
1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And it's been a pleasure, Rupa, to be with you this morning to get this message out because it's, it's you know, it can be stressful, you know, this this notion of, you know, turning on your radio and hearing, we need your help, you know, we're, we're only halfway there, it ends tomorrow night. Uh, but, but that's how this works, you know, that's how we do it. And we are confident uh, that we're going to hear from you. We have been hearing from people all this morning. Thank you so much. And we're confident we're going to hear from you who hasn't called yet. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And Rupa, I'm thinking too, there's going to be a moment today, we've mentioned that this morning at 2.20 this mm-hmm. afternoon, every television, every radio, every cell phone in this country is going to uh, ring out with this uh, alert from the, you know, the National Emergency System. They're testing it this afternoon at 2.20. I can't wait in some ways to hear what this sounds and feels like, you know, when every cell phone, every radio, we're going to be doing it, of course, Mm -hmm. here at WBUR, because, yeah, it's a test, but it's a reminder. We are all connected in case there's an emergency. I mean, it makes me a little emotional, you know, (laughs) that we might, that this might suddenly someday have to be used. Well, we know we're not at that level, (laughs) you know, what's happening right now. But it is kind of a little bit of a, 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 a call out to you, an emergency call out to you that we do need your help. 1-800, and it gets a little emotional, like, you know, yeah, we, we depend on you. one 800 and we're community. You know, yeah. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Like Robin said, this is how you connect to your community. We are your community. This is how you keep your community strong. Think about it. Local journalism across the country, it is dying out. Meanwhile, you have kept WBUR strong. You and a community of listeners. But the cost of everything is going up. We need to make our goal to keep our news at the level you expect. Local journalism depends on local support. That's you. Mm. And think about everything you get from us online, on air, on newsletters, podcasts. That can only continue with your support, and you only have an hour to get in on this match and help us make up ground in this fundraiser. As time is running out, it ends tomorrow night. We need you to give. You'll be helping WBUR secure a strong future, and you'll be giving yourself security that we will be there for you. Someone is going to be at the city council meeting for you. Somebody's going to be there when the water's not Mm -hmm. right in your town. Somebody's going to be there to figure out what those PCP plastic things are in your backyard. Mm -hmm. That somebody's going to be from WBUR. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It ends tomorrow night. The match, the dollar-for-dollar match, ends in an hour. Uh, But WBUR goes on. So make that call. WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Your support has never been more crucial. Rescue us in our time of need. We need your help. It's important that we meet these goals. You can get us there. WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much for your help. Thanks. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by The Huntington, presenting Fat Ham. The 2022 Pulitzer Prize winner reinvents Hamlet with a queer black twist. Join Juicy, the saucy protagonist, in a sharp, deliciously funny take on the Shakespeare classic. Fat Ham, playing now through October 29th at the Huntington Calderwood. HuntingtonTheater.org. I'm executive editor for News, Dan Mozzie, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston. 
92.7 WBUA-Tisbury and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.